You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. Today we're starting a brand new series. It's called Abide. And this series will run for the next six weeks or so. And the goal of this series is basically for all of us to have a renewed commitment to read, to understand, believe, and obey God's Word. This is pretty much in line with our prayer and fasting as well. And we want to start the year right by hearing from God, by praying and consecrating ourselves so that we can hear from God and know His direction for our lives. So this year, we want to start with this series that aims to teach us to have that renewed commitment to God's Word. And for this first week, we'll talk about the Word made flesh. And we'll be looking at the book of John. Now, I'm going to focus on certain verses, but basically we'll look at other verses as well sa book ni John especially. So we'll be looking at several verses here today. So if you have your Bibles with you, can you turn it to John chapter 1? I'll start reading from verses 1 to 5, then 14, and then later on 16 to 18. So again, turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. So, John chapter 1 says here, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory Glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16 to 18. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Alright, so we'll go straight to John chapter 1, verse 1. So it says there, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this quote-unquote word, word is repeated several times in the book of John, especially in the first few verses. And that first statement there, the first phrase of verse 1 says, In the beginning. Now, that phrase, in the beginning, is by no means parang accident lang or you know, thoughtlessly written in John. But that phrase is basically a callback to one of the earliest verses in the Bible. If you read this and you realize that, hmm, parang nga naman familiar ni phrase, in the beginning. If you ever read that statement okay, or that phrase in the Bible, then you would know that it comes from the book of Genesis. Remember, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth, or God did all of these amazing things. So it's a callback, basically, to the book of Genesis. And this is by no means an accident, but this is basically a John referring to the Genesis because he's talking about God here. This word was in the beginning. This word was with God. And this word was God. So this word that we're talking about here today is no small thing. Big deal nisha. Because basically this word or being known as the word, he is eternal because he is in the beginning. And not just that, when you look at the Greek word for word, okay, I know major confusing with that, the word word, <laughs> but the word word, okay, comes from the Greek word logos. And it's a familiar word by the Greeks and the Jews. Whether you're a Jew or a Greek, you'll be familiar with this word. Because for the Greeks, it means speech, principle, or thought. Word. And in Greek philosophy, it means other things as well. For them, it's like the bridge between a transcendent God and the material universe. But for the Jews, the phrase word of God or word is often used to refer to God himself. And in the Old Testament, the word of God is often personified as the instrument of God's will, basically. So in other words, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, familiar can a statement. And when you go back to the Bible, a kind of word, 
it says that it is eternal, meaning He is God, because only God is eternal. And because for the Jews, the word of God refers to God, this is talking about still God. So cunning word here, if you were to ask, what is this word that we're talking about? Firstly, it refers to God, but not just that. Here's the interesting thing about John chapter 1. Because John chapter 1 introduces basically a lot of things in the book of John. And this word here is one of those things. And for us to all the more appreciate what John is trying to write, word, let's look at muna the purpose of John's gospel account. If you read through your Bible, you would understand that there are four gospel accounts. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, for each of them, yes, whether we can read them and we can get a lot, okay? We can learn a lot when we read through these gospel accounts. But each of the gospel account writers had the primary audience. Muni ang main people nagina write nila for. For example, Matthew was primarily writing to the Jews. And his whole goal of writing his gospel account was to tell the Jews that Jesus is the promised Messiah. The Messiah that they, the Jews, had been waiting for. Which is why, ang start sa Matthew is basically the genealogy of Jesus. It traces back his ancestors, all the way back to Abraham. Why? Because for the Jews, the Messiah would come from Abraham and of Enkan David. So if someone were to claim, ah, ako ang Messiah, or someone were to say, oh, muni ang Messiah, for the Jews, they need to check his genealogy. Okay? Ha? Ikaw ang Messiah? Let's check nga big, kinsa yung lolo. Descended ba ka ni Abraham? Descended ba ka ni David? That is why, Matthew wrote that in the first few chapters of his gospel account. For Mark naman, he was writing primarily to the Romans. And his whole goal was to talk about the suffering servant. That Jesus, his death on the cross was not a moment of defeat. When you look at it on the onset, parang, uy, si Jesus, na-capture, crucify, he experienced pain, suffering. It looks like he was defeated. But for Mark, okay, he was writing it to tell the people that this was part of God's plan. The Messiah had to suffer. He was the suffering servant. Now for John, man, very interesting ang goal ni John for his gospel. And we can actually read it in John chapter 20, verse 31. And this will greatly help us understand the other parts of his gospel account. In John chapter 20, verse 31, we see here, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in His name. Let me break it down for a while. He says that, these were written, this gospel account was written so that you guys, they may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the one that they've been waiting for. The one who would save us. He is the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in His name. That phrase there, Son of God, doesn't mean like the way we typically view or understand the word Son. Like me, I'm a son of my Father. The word Son, the refers to someone with the same nature as someone else. Or the same attributes as someone else. So when you say son of God, is someone who has the attributes or same nature as God. Who else is that person? And that is Jesus. In other words, John wrote his gospel account to tell people that Jesus is God. That Jesus is not just some guy doing amazing things in the desert or past tense at this time. So he did amazing things in the desert, in the wilderness. He did miracles. He taught many things. Okay, he's this wise guy. He's his teacher. But he's more than that. John wanted to tell people that Jesus is God. And this is important. This will tell us why his gospel account did not start with Jesus being born in Bethlehem, the shepherds, the angels. Typically, when you read through the gospel accounts, Matthew and Luke especially, it starts with our typical image of Christmas, the nativity scenes, right? The shepherds coming, the magi traveling, meeting Jesus and all these things. The angel appearing before Mary. It did not start there on gospel account with John, but rather... 
John's gospel account starts with John chapter 1, verse 1, that says, In the beginning was the word. It's a call back to Genesis. Why? Because John is telling people, this Jesus that you will get to know as you read through this gospel account is God. He's telling people that Jesus, this word, was in the beginning is God. In other words, the word here is Jesus. Every time you look at John chapter 1, verse 1, when it says there, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, that is Jesus. Because practically saying, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. This tells us why John starts his gospel this way. Right? There's a prologue, basically. It's like, if you mga stories, series, whatever, but sometimes there's a prologue, diba. And prologue, it shows you the overarching big picture. The same thing here. John is giving us this overarching picture that Jesus, who is doing many things, doing many miracles, who's teaching, is more than that. He's more than just a man. And although, yes, he is 100% human as well. He is God. John is trying to tell people that Jesus is God and Jesus is the Word. And as we read through the rest of John chapter 1 and all the other verses, we would see how much it shows that Jesus is indeed this word and Jesus is indeed God. And as we do so, may this increase all the more our understanding, our appreciation, and how much we would you know, glorify the God as well. It says here, John chapter 1 verse 14, in case nagwander the hasher ba, si Jesus ang word. And says here, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So it says here that that word, that word which was in the beginning, that word which is again God, no? that same God who created the heavens, the earth, all of creation, that same word says here became flesh. The statement word became flesh it means incarnation. And it's something that we typically use or refer whenever you know, Christmas time happens. Why? Because Matthew 1 verse 23 it says here, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Who was this referring to? Jesus. Right? When the angel appeared before Mary, and later she would give birth. So in other words, this word that became flesh, again, is Jesus. We're talking about Jesus here. He is the word and he is God. Not just that. In verses 2 to 3 of John chapter 1, it continues saying, He was in the beginning with God. Again, talking about the word still. This word was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So it says here, remember, he was there before all of creation. Before, you know, the animals, the birds, the land. Before anything was created, Jesus was there not. And it's not just that. In the New Testament as well, in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16, we have this as well to support and say, talking about Jesus, for by him... All things, what, were? Were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Again, this still refers to the Word and again refers to Jesus. And in John chapter 1, verse 4, in Him, in Jesus, in the Word, says here, was life. And the life was the light of man. You might think, parang familiar like a verse. Parang That is because we talked about this last month, okay? When we had our reason to celebrate trees for Christmas. It says here that in Him, in Christ, was life. Now again, there are three words for life or multiple words for life in the Greek language. There's bios, which we get the word biology, which means the natural living life. We have suke, which means psychology, uh, the mind. And then we have zoe, 
which refers to the uncreated, eternal life of God, the divine life uniquely possessed by God, or in other words, eternal life. Every time you hear the word zoe, nga life, ginagamit sa Bible, it is almost or always exclusively used to refer to God. It is a kind of life that can only be obtained, possessed, or received from God. You can't just take it or buy it anywhere or you want back. Again, every time you see that word zoe nga life, so when you go back to the verse, it says, in him was life. We're talking about the kind of life that can only be received from God. And again, it's no coincidence because John chapter 1 verse 4, that in him still refers to God. And in John 14 verse 6, remember, we're talking about life. What did Jesus say about himself? He says in verse 6, Jesus said to him, to someone, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if that verse says that in him, in this word is the life, we're talking about someone who has the life, guess what? It is Jesus. He basically says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that word life is still Zoe kind of life. John 3.16 also says this famous verse, which I believe all of us at one point man lang heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Life. The life there still talking about Zoe. So, in other words, when you look at these verses, we would see that Jesus is 100%, without a doubt, the Word. He is the Word that we've been talking about here today. Jesus, as the Word, was a personal being, fully divine, yet fully human, and was God's perfect revelation of Himself in the flesh. So, that's what the Apostle John was trying to convey basically when he starts off his gospel account. His prologue is basically verses upon verses telling people, guys, Jesus is God. He is the promised Messiah. We ought to believe in Him. He's not just some character in the Bible. If you're reading this years from now, it's not just some wise man, some teacher. No, He is God. Now, going back to our verses, we might ask, okay, what was the whole point for the Word becoming flesh? Why was the Word made flesh? We read about it. The Word came to this world. Jesus came to this world, clothes Himself in flesh. Why was that? What's the whole point, Anna? Nag field trip lang ba si Jesus sa world? Ano man nagibuhat? Well, in verse 14, when you go back in John chapter 1, it says here, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, and glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, that phrase, and dwelt among us, kanang dwelt comes from the word skeno, which means to pitch a tent or a tabernacle. But if you pitch a tent and tabernacle, you might think, ano man, Important to highlight niya. Again, just like katong in the beginning, which was deliberately written by John, this statement uh, dwelt among us is a callback or is an allusion as well, basically, to God's dwelling among the Israelites in the tabernacle back when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. When they were still traveling from Egypt to the promised land, God traveled with them through that tabernacle. That's a tabernacle. That's where God would meet with Moses. But that's a very important place, basically, for the Israelites. And the one, the other side, kind of more bigger structure, is of course the temple, which later replaced the tabernacle. Now, what is the whole point of this tabernacle, this temple? What is it important? Why is it important for us to take note as well when we're looking at these things? Well, in the past, God manifested His presence to His people in the tabernacle and the temple. And it was an important place. Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 to 35 it gives us a glimpse of the importance of these things. Talking about the tabernacle, it says here, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. 
And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud had not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken out. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So imagine this. Imagine, let's say we're the Israelites. We're traveling. We're on our way to the promised land. We have with us in the center of our camp, basically, the tabernacle, which God's presence would manifest there, and we would behold God's glory. And it says, Sir Gabriel, description, for the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night. It says, Sir Moses could not even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. Meaning, it's, you know, terrifying and amazing at the same time because God's presence was there. And the tabernacle was the provision of God's glory to dwell with His people. In the tabernacle, it was the center of Israel's camp, meaning kung muna yung tabernacle to nga, the rest would be arranged around the tabernacle. It is the place where the law of Moses was preserved. It's the dwelling place of God. It is the place of revelation. It's the place where sacrifices were made. It's where they would worship God. And it's the center of Israel's worship. And again, later on, the temple would replace the tabernacle. So, Jesus coming into this world, becoming flesh, and dwelling among us is important because His whole purpose of doing so would be to replace the tabernacle and the temple. If you were to go back to John chapter 1, verse 14, if you were to put some emphasis, it would be like the Word or God became flesh and dwelt or pitched a tent, a tabernacle among us. And we have seen His glory and glory as of the only Son, the Father, full of grace and truth. The whole point, God came to this world, became flesh, dwelt among us, lived among us, was to take the place of that tabernacle, of that temple as well. So, in other words, no longer will man, humans, draw near to God to a physical building. But oftentimes, we talk about worshiping God. The most sacred thing we can think of sometimes is a building, like Aaron, a church building. But now, people will not draw to a physical building. They would draw to God by drawing near to Jesus. They would draw near to Christ. It's kind of like what Jesus told this Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, verse 21. It says here, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Because he was this in discussion where the Samaritan woman said, nah, You Jews, you worship God in your temple. We Samaritans worship God in this mountain or this area. Jesus told him, her rather, that the hour is coming when people would neither worship the Father, neither delete the mountain, and delete put sa temple, and delete put sa Jerusalem. He would come to take that place. And that is important. And again, to drive it further, why did he have to dwell among us? Take Jesus ang place sa temple. Why did Jesus have to come here in the first place? Parang to go the extra mile to do so. John chapter 1, verse 16 to 17 tells us that. Says here, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now the word grace there means unmerited favor, meaning it's something you didn't deserve. You didn't earn it. You didn't do something, work hard for it, and okay, dapat makuha No, you didn't deserve it, and it was given to you. Now it says here that this grace came from Jesus, from his fullness, from the fullness of Christ. We receive grace upon grace, and later on, it says in verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus. Now before we can fully appreciate that, let's take a look at verse 17, the first half muna. It says here, for the law was given through Moses. Now what is this law? 
Now, you're familiar perhaps, especially for us Filipinos, every like Holy Week, no? Of the image of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. Moses in the mountain holding the Ten Commandments. We're familiar with that image perhaps. At least malang imagine tana. But here's the thing, Moses didn't just receive the Ten Commandments from God. He also received 600 plus laws for him and the Israelites. And this is what we collectively call the law. And the law was something God graciously revealed or gave to his people so that it would set them apart. Meaning, if this is how the rest of the world or the rest of the people would live their lives, this is how God's people would live their lives, by following and obeying God's law. And God's law had you know, certain rules and instructions for several things, whether it's their food, dealing with disputes, mga away nila, relating with others, pertaining to worship, natanan sa law ni God. It's kind of like their constitution. Munang law ni God for them. But not just that, because they needed to follow the law. This law basically told them or showed them, may para siyang mirror ang law ni God. Because here's the thing, no one could perfectly follow the law of God. God told them to follow the law, to obey the law, but it's a thing. Because of man's sinful nature, they could not perfectly follow and obey the law. Diba? It's asemas lisod, to do good or to do evil. But it's so much more harder to do good. Why? Because we have a sinful nature. The same thing with the Israelites. It was difficult for them to fully follow the law. But here's the thing, the law was like a mirror that showed them just how sinful they were. And show them of their need of a savior. Now, guys, kumuniyang standards sa law. The reason why you can't meet it, you can't achieve it, is because again, you are sinners. You are in need of a savior. No human being on his own could fully follow the law perfectly. And this is why Jesus came into the picture. Without Christ, we would still be enemies of God. We would still be slaves to sin. Or as Romans 6:23 says, the wages of sin is death. We would be in that situation. But when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That had a particular mission. It was to save us, to rescue us. Jesus was the final revelation of God's grace and truth. Kaya nga, if from Moses, dito ang law, from Jesus, here is grace upon grace. Because here is the answer. Here is the solution to our problem of sin. John chapter 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus being that answer. It says here, John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. If you were to look at the NLT version, here is someone coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. John is basically saying that Jesus, he is God. I'm not worthy to even lift his sandals. John 129 even says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If ever you wondered, Jesus, it's because Jesus came to take away our sins. That is why the Word was made flesh. That is why the Word came and dwelt among us. The purpose was to save us, to rescue us, to take away our sins from the world. That is why in John chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son, and again, who is the Son? Jesus, the one who has the same nature as God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And the result of that, the result of what Christ did for us, when he died on the cross for our sins, when he set us free from the condemnation of our sins, John chapter 1, verse 12 to 13, but to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, in Christ's name, he gave the right to become what? children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. In other words, Without the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, 
if you were to remove Christ from the story and to okay, the law was received or came from Moses, we would still be enemies of God. We would still be slaves to our sin. We would still be destined to death. We would still be suffering right now under these things. But because of Christ, as it says there, to those who receive Him, to those who receive Christ, it says here that we are now His children. We're now God's children. Before enemies of God, now children of God. We used to be slaves to sin. Now we're slaves to righteousness. We used to be destined to death. Now we have eternal life. This is why when we read the gospel according to John, gospel account according to John, we can't help but just appreciate or, or give glory to Jesus because of what He did for us. He is God. He didn't need to do this. Take note. God didn't need to do this for us. He didn't need to rescue us. He didn't need to come to this world to dwell among us. But this word, God, who created everything, was in the beginning there. Later on, was made flesh, dwelt among us. And why? For our benefit. Think about that, okay? For our benefit. He came here to rescue us, to save us, basically. And you might ask, what does this have to do with me, Tom, and having a renewed commitment to God's Word? We talked about the Word referring to Jesus, but how does this connect to me wanting, desiring to have a renewed commitment to the Word of God, to God's written Word, okay? The Bible, basically. What, what does that have to do with it? Well, remember, our series is called Abide, and Abide basically means to stay or to remain. Well, it says here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2 to 6, it says here, the one who says he abides or remains or stays in him, in Christ, ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. If you proclaim that I have Christ, I am in Christ, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, we ought to walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. To further this, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7 even says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Who says here that we are to walk in Christ. We are to walk in a manner the same way He did. Now, if someone were to tell us about Jesus for like an hour lang, 30 minutes lang, and then, okay, manato, that's not enough time for us to know how should we walk in a manner the same way He walked. How can we live our lives rooted and built up in Him? How can we be established in the faith as we were told? How can we accomplish these things if we don't have the Word of God? One of the things I want to highlight here is that if we want to walk in a way that's the same way Jesus walked, in a way that, that honors Him, we ought to read the Word of God. If we want to be rooted, built up in Him, established in the faith, we need to read the Word of God. It's not enough to just say, ah, okay na. Attending a service, yes, attending a service is good. I don't, I'm not saying it's bad. But imagine, you know, the Word of God as like our spiritual food. Woman here can survive one week lang, once a week lang mukaon. Even if grabi mo mag diet, possibly lang one week lang ka magkaon. I mean, it's gonna be really difficult. It's gonna be tired, moody, stressed. You need the nutrition to eat. That is why we ought to eat every day. Bala na mo sa diet ninyo, sa kalasing food ninyo. But still, we need to eat every day. The same thing here with us. We cannot hope to live our lives victoriously. We cannot hope to walk in a way that, as if knowing that we have Christ in us if we do not read, obey God's Word. And last but not least, John chapter 5, verse 39 says here, this is Jesus talking to Pharisees. He says, he told them, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the Scriptures, that bear witness about me. 
if you read through the scriptures, then you would know, if you read through the Bible, that there are so many verses that talks about Jesus. I remember a few months ago, okay, we went through several sheets about the book of Isaiah. But there are so many verses that refers or talks about Jesus, that prophesies about Jesus. In fact, Jesus at one point, when he was doing ministry, he entered a place, a synagogue, he got scripture and he opened it and read it. It was from the book of Isaiah. And he says, today, this scripture is now fulfilled. The scriptures point to Jesus. So in other words, if we want to know more about this word, we want to know more about Jesus, look no further than the word of God. Because when we read through the scriptures, when we read through the word of God, yes, we can get information. Yes, we can learn. We grow in our knowledge, in our wisdom as well. But not just that. When you read through the word of God, we are getting to know Christ as well. It points to Jesus. It points to God. When we read through the Word of God, again, it's not like just reading a textbook, read like information, knowledge. No. It's living and active. As the Bible says, the Word of God is living and active. It, is, it teaches, it corrects, it rebukes, it reveals to us what we need to repent of. And of course, it points to Christ. This is why we ought to read God's Word. And this is why understanding that Jesus is the Word made flesh reminds us now, wait, we should all the more have that renewed commitment, desire, and hunger for God's Word because God's Word, His written, revealed Word, points to the Word, the Word of God, Jesus. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.